Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, sick to fit and well start health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a brave and brilliant life. Man, I'm excited about this one. It's been a long time coming. My guest today is James Wilkes, the producer, the narrator, the chief instigator of The Game Changers. Now, this movie is a really big deal. I took a look at Google Trends to see, you know, how search terms change over the years. And from 2004 to the present, the biggest spike in searches for plant-based and plant-based diet occurred right when the film came out in September of 2019. And I've been wanting to talk to James for a while, but I figure, man, the guy's busy. He's got a lot going on. And then Joe Rogan happened. So if you're not familiar with the situation, Joe Rogan, the uh, probably the most powerful, influential podcaster in the world, uh, mixed martial artist, comedian, very negative on vegans, veganism, plant-based diet, a real you know, meathead. His sponsors include uh, beef and stuff like that. And he had Chris Kresser on. Chris Kresser is an acupuncturist who claims, quote, graduate level training in nutrition. And I have graduate level training in lots of things that I'm completely unqualified to talk about, including archaeology, biostatistics, epidemiology, um, and Aramaic. So I, I can tell you that, that that's a, sli a verbal sleight of hand to make it seem like he has knowledge and skill and expertise that he, he does not have. But in any case, I'm simply not interested in debating anymore. You know, I worked on, on books of, of scientific debate that were really, you know, came out swinging. Proteinaholic with Garth Davis. If you've seen Garth on his TV appearances on The Doctors, you know that he's combative in a uh, in a really powerful way, uh, working on whole and the low carb fraud with T. Colin Campbell. He's been a fighter his whole career for the truth. And I found that like when I was in that world arguing, like I didn't like myself. I didn't like conflict. I didn't like the fighting, the, the debating. At a certain point, I'm like, you know what? What I really enjoy doing is talking to people who already get it and help them implement it in their lives. And that's really my sweet spot. And that's where I like to be. But when I heard that the Game Changers had been, quote, debunked on Joe Rogan, I didn't care all that much. I'm like, OK, well, what's the big deal? But then 
I found out what the big deal was on the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. I went to a, an ultimate Frisbee pickup game in Asheville, as as one does as part of, you know, it's an American tradition to play ultimate Frisbee in cold, wet, rainy conditions right before uh, the holiday. And I was out there tossing the disc, warming up with a couple of people, a, a guy and a gal whom I hadn't met before, young people, I would imagine in their 20s. And they know each other and they're having a chat and I'm just sort of throwing the Frisbee and keeping my mouth shut. And the guy starts talking about he's been um, on a plant based diet, eating mostly plant based for a while. And the gal says, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've been I'd hearing about that. I got curious. I thought about trying it. But, you know, because there was this movie, I don't rem- you know, the, I don't remember the movie. But and then he goes, oh, yeah, it was the Game Changers. And I'm keeping my mouth shut because I'm just here to play Frisbee. And she said, yeah, I was going to see it. But then it was totally debunked on Joe Rogan. And it was just it turned out to be a whole bunch of lies and propaganda and bullshit. And so I don't even see the point in seeing it. And at that moment, I understood why this sort of public debate matters. And so I opened my mouth and I explained that I am a, uh, a writer and a researcher and I've contributed to several books on nutrition and that the movie actually had its facts completely right. And the Chris Kresser doesn't know what he's talking about. And maybe I, uh, I saved her. Maybe I gave her just enough doubt that she was willing to go back and watch the movie. Then I got to watch James Wilkes on the Joe Rogan podcast debating Chris Kresser. And I've got to say it was so uncomfortable for me because it was combative. They were talking over each other. They were arguing in a, in a very forceful way. James really went after Chris's credibility, his ability to read science, put it really put him in a corner. And I'm watching it in bed on my computer and I have to keep turning it off. I have to keep pausing it and, and I have to breathe and and meditate and, and think happy thoughts. And I keep, I keep complaining to my wife how hard this is to watch. And she's like, you know what? It's because you just don't like conflict. Uh, you know, you're this, you have this deep seated aversion to conflict. And I was almost like, no, you're completely wrong. But then I was like, yeah, I guess you're right, <laughs> which I guess proves her point. And but I made it through because I kept thinking of that young woman on the Frisbee field whose life could be saved, family members lives could be saved. And and the whole planet needs this message, needs to understand what's at stake here. And James came out swinging a combative instructor, a combative MMA fighter fighting for his baby, this movie he spent seven years on and fighting for all of us, fighting for the truth, fighting for health, fighting for human happiness, well-being, fighting for the entire planet. So just a couple of quick items of business before we get to the conversation. First is it's New Year's coming up. If you have made resolutions in the past and they haven't stuck and they've kind of fizzled out, maybe what you need is a coach and maybe I am the coach that you need. If you want to take a look at my most popular program, a year of unlimited laser coaching, these are short 15 minute coaching sessions scheduled at your convenience by you, IKEA style, uh, with my online calendar. And the calls are all recorded, and you get an email following each one with the recording and with the homework that we've agreed upon. 
And the price for an entire year of this, I'm sure, will surprise you by how low it is. And so if you're interested in finding out more about that and getting someone on your side who can really help you navigate, I've, I've helped thousands of people achieve their health goals and I know how to do it. And I know what the common mistakes, pitfalls, wrong turns, detours are. And I also know what are natural dips in the process that may feel like failures and that actually aren't, that are actually empowering moments that you can get up from if you understand how. So just go to plantyourself.com slash laser. That's L-A-S-E-R, all lowercase. If you're interested in making 2020 the year you get healthy, I have three slots available for January 2020, and I would love for you to be one of them. Second thing is the Josh Howie retreat in New Orleans is not quite full. So if you want to go to sick to fit, that's sick, the number two, fit.com forward slash NOLA, N-O-L-A, again, all lowercase, sick2fit.com slash NOLA. You can find out about the Josh Howie retreat in the most decadent city in the United States. We're going to show you how you can live healthy, how you can eat well, how you can move in New Orleans, Louisiana, the Crescent City, the birthplace of jazz. And we're going to create a family there of everyone who shows up. It's going to be similar to the retreat that we held in Pittsburgh last month, in which we're going to start uh, sharing some of the testimonials from the folks who participated in that now that they're back in their home environments and have a little bit of perspective on when, what went on that weekend. And I can just tell you, it's going to be a truly amazing, transformative experience. Again, sick2fit.com slash NOLA. All right, let's get to it now. Straight from his audition for the Plant Yourself podcast on the Joe Rogan podcast. Without further ado, James Lightning Wilkes, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on, Howard. I appreciate it. Well, it's only been five years that I've been uh, I've been trying trying to uh, get you, and there was a long period of time where where we knew about the film, but you weren't really talking about it publicly. Um, so, you know, I think every. Almost everyone who's watching this will, and listening will know that you are the guy um, behind the Game Changers, or one one of the uh, one of the two originals, and uh, and one of the leading forces behind the film. Um, and there's been a lot going on lately, but I'd like to start. I like to start with just like way back in those days. Like, what made you want to make what turned out to be the Game Changers at the very beginning? What was what was the impetus? Yeah, well, I mean, some of the story people will have seen that have seen the film, uh, you know, I got injured, um, started digging into peer-reviewed science on nutrition for optimal recovery and performance, <clears throat> came across the study about the Roman gladiators, and that started really getting me digging into it. And very shortly after, um, you know, I woke up at two in the morning and just, you know, really felt like I'd been lied to by the industry as I was digging into this research, and I thought, how can I spend my time productively? I'll keep digging into it. And then I thought, well, I really need to make a film about this, and tell everybody that they've been lied to. And that's mm -hmm. sort of where it all started. Uh -huh. And what year was that? Uh, so so it's, this journey started uh, around 2011, going okay. into 2012, yeah. So that was roughly right around when uh, Forks Over Knives came out. Was that, did, did that sort of 
play into your thinking like, oh, let's make a movie or were you like, why, why a film? Why not a, a book? Uh, and like, who are you to make a movie? <laughs> yeah, I'd already started um, filming some bits before I saw and heard about Forks Over Knives. But I think when I mm -hmm. saw it, I probably thought, oh, you know, I could, um, you know, I could, uh, I could also make a documentary. So I think it probably <clears throat> made me realize that it was possible, you know, talking to Brian Wendell, I waited around till the very end of the screening and talked to Brian and I thought, yeah, this is uh, doable. So I'd already started on the journey, but not really, you know, uh, probably wasn't believing that it could be a full documentary at that point. Uh huh. And what, what resources did you think you had? He's like, you, you didn't come from the plant based community. You had been a sort of, you know, meathead um, in, in this world. Like, how did you first approach people whom you thought could help? Well, yeah, I didn't know anyone in the plant-based community, and I also uh, didn't know anyone in filmmaking. I didn't have the funding, really. So, you know, I started really researching who was in the space, um, you know, and who was representing the scientific consensus. And that's when I started trying to interview uh, the experts and then also the athletes. And uh, again, it was just really reaching out, you know, waiting till people were coming to L.A. because I didn't have the, the funds to fly anywhere. But of course, once I got the initial material and I worked with Joseph Pace, who is the other producer and one of the two writers who started working on ideas and then it just sort of snowballed from there. So very little resources to start with. Um, but I think if you believe in yourself and, you know, you sort of set goals uh, and you work really hard at it, you know, it's possible to achieve them. So that's what we did. All right. Now, you know, you worked really hard and you achieved the goals, but there was more than that. There was also that this there was something about the mission that was compelling to other people. So when you first started talking about making this documentary, how did what did the mission sound like in your head and out of your mouth? Like, what was it going to do? Well, I think we wanted to dispel the myth that you need, you know, meat and animal products to be strong and healthy. And then we also re under realized this sort of underlying myth, this real many meat myth. And that was just sort of from my own perception that I felt like as a not just as an athlete, but as a man, I really needed to eat meat. Um, so that sort of that real man eat meat myth was very strong with me. But it also happened to turn out that it was, you know, very strong with a lot of other people, right? So eight out of 10 plant based eaters tend to be female, uh, men 18 to 45 eat twice as much meat as women. Um, and so the myth is really strong. Fast food menus are driven by young men. Um, and so I think it was that sort of uh, focus on the film probably was very appealing to people like Louis Sahoyos, who became the director, and James Cameron, who became one of the executive producers. So I think that topic and focus uh, got other people very interested. Mm -hmm. I think when I first heard about it, it was like that was the central theme, this um, this idea of masculinity and meat. But I think in in the versions that I started seeing around 2017 and on, it was it was broadened like that. I don't that wasn't uh, as big yeah, a feature. I <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it was. It wasn't that we were trying to appeal only to young men. I think it's important that the film doesn't put that demographic off, hmm. if that makes sense. So we've had a very wide array of people from sort of 80 year old grandmother saying coming to me and saying, oh, you know, I've I was getting uh, I have heart disease and I'm feeling much better now and my blood works better after I've switched after watching your film to like the 15 year old sort of uh, wannabe athlete that's working out in the gym a lot. So we've had a very wide um, range of people that are very interested in the film. But I do think it was important 
that the way that we approached it, it didn't put off uh, young men, especially young men that are into sports and athletics. Mm. So when you talk about demographics and I think about Hollywood, I think about, uh, you know, focus groups and 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 all sorts of marketing efforts like did that did that happen? Did you look at like how can we make a film that appeals or doesn't turn off this demographic or was it just sort of seat of your pants intuition? No, I mean, I made the film based on my organic journey, but we did come across research and behavioral psychology along the way, which sort of tied in exactly with how we were making the film, you know, showing that young men are more um, swayed by their identity and role models than they are by the actual science. Uh, and that just sort of fit in with how we were making the film anyway. There's some really great role models, both male and female in the film. Um, and so it sort of just tied in with that. And then in terms of focus groups, we didn't really do that, but we did screen the film, you know, in the sort of mid stages of the film when there was sort of a, you know, a rough copy, a rough version of the film made. And, um, you know, we did get feedback because, you know, we thought, well, shall we go and interview um, some really higher profile athletes? And then people thought, well, if it had too many celebrities in it, it would seem less genuine, less authentic. Or, you know, should we pull out the stuff about, um, you know, the environment and uh, people or the, you know, with Damien Manda talking about the animals. Mm -hmm. um, and people thought that it would have seemed quite strange if we didn't cover those topics. So we definitely had some feedback once we'd put a rough version of the film together, but we didn't do mm -hmm. focus early on in order to shape. It was really just following my organic journey, really. Gotcha. And I know you've, you've worked with lots of collaborators and bringing on people with you know, tremendous industry experience and skills beyond beyond what you brought. How did how did that feel? Because this this is your baby. And, right. you know, and then now you're raising it in sort of a, a kibbutz and like a, you know, a commune with lots of different parents. What was what was hard about that and what what ended up being valuable? I mean, overall, the uh, the net of it all was it was extremely valuable. I mean, um, you know, having someone like Luis Sahoyos, who's a you know, his first documentary was the most award winning documentary of all time in the Cove, having input from a filmmaker like James Cameron. Um, you know, for example, we were originally thinking about this, uh, the erection scene, and we thought, well, it might be a little bit too risque, a little bit too over the top. Maybe we shouldn't do that. But, you know, Jim Cameron would get on the phone for an hour or two talking about you know, the flow of the film. And he said, no, I think you've absolutely got to put that in. So if it wasn't for Jim, that, that scene, which seems to be probably one of the favorite scenes of the film, that probably wouldn't have made it in. So there's been like invaluable input. Uh, Mark Monroe, the other writer, um, Joseph Pace, my partner, of course, had um, a large majority of input on the, on the writing as well. Um, uh, Two-time Eddie winning um, editor, Dan Sweetlick, who was fundamental in uh, sort of the shaping of the film. And so this team overall, it was fantastic. Of course, you know, during the process, there's definitely creative differences. We had 600 hours of footage trying to make it down to less than an hour and a half, because that's, you know, most people wanted to watch documentaries that are less than 90 minutes. That is very challenging. And so there were definitely different opinions about which athletes can, should make the cut, which shouldn't. We definitely overshot um, which topics, um, you know, should make the cut and which shouldn't. You know, B12 was was an example within the creativity. We were like, no, we don't need to talk too much about B12. And some people said, yeah, we've really got to put that in. And so there was there was different creative opinions about what you could try and fit into this 90 minutes. But overall, you know, obviously extremely happy with the uh, the final result. Mm. What do you do with the other five hundred and ninety eight and a half hours? Mm. 
Is it? I mean, it seems it seems like, you know, like I have a podcast. This will be the uh, like 355th version. Like that's that's like 400 hour, almost 400 hours right there that are out there. Is there a way to make this stuff available? Yeah, we definitely intend on putting some stuff out on social media, on the website, on YouTube. Um, it's a lot of work to sift through this and make a good narrative flow if we wanted to make you know, a series out of it or another documentary out of it. So we don't intend on doing that at the moment with the footage. But in terms of putting out you know, some uh, extended interviews, of course, there is a 22-minute um, after-show content that played when it was in theaters, and that is going to be up very soon on iTunes and Vimeo. And it's actually available already on the uh, the DVD and Blu-ray, which are going on sale um, hopefully this week. So there are, is some bonus footage out there already, but we do intend on putting more out on social media. Mm -hmm. Right. I, yeah, I think it was, you know, I watched in the theater, it was like Jim Cameron was, uh, was, yeah, was interesting. The whole thing. Yeah, so we interviewed Jim early on. Um, there was a number of people that we interviewed that just, again, didn't make it in because we originally thought we might go outside of more athletics and health and firefighters, you know, into... Um, you know, even intellectual uh, realms. So, for example, we interviewed Brian Greene, one of the world's leading theoretical physicists. Um, you know, there, there's a number of people that we interviewed that just didn't sort of fit the flow of the film. And so hopefully we can put those interviews out so that people uh, get to see them. Gotcha. So as as someone who had almost no skin in the game on this film, <clears throat> I was finding myself getting increasingly frustrated at how long it was taking. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Right. And so I can only imagine what it was like for you. Um, right. Like, yeah, it's funny, right? Because people would say, I've been waiting six months for this. I've been waiting a year for this. When is this going to come out? I think I've been waiting seven years. Like, what are you complaining about? And I've got to work on it every day. So, yeah, I mean, we had an iteration and, um, you know, we were invited towards the end of 2017 to go to Sundance in 2018. And the film wasn't really ready. We'd taken six months to edit act one. You know, you have three acts in a film. We'd taken a couple of months on act two. It wasn't really complete. And then we suddenly had two weeks to edit act three. So we sort of rushed with the opportunity to get it into Sundance, knowing that it wasn't really finished. And so in 2018, we went back into uh, the edit. We went back into filming. We added the story of the Tennessee Titans, which I think was a really great story to add into the film. It's sort of covered in all three acts. Um, we added the interview with Lewis Hamilton, the six-time Formula One champion, and then we re-edited. So we, um, the ending was improved in terms of, uh, you know, there was more of like a ended on a high note, whereas in the old version, it's sort of, there's like a five-minute epilogue, which got a little bit boring. Um, we improved the pacing of the film. We just tightened everything up. We improved the, uh, the score, which is the, the music in the film, which, um, so I think we took it from like a seven out of ten to... Um, you know, maybe an eight or a nine out of ten for the final um, product. Mm. What What were the three acts? Because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't notice acts. It's, like it's most just, people probably wouldn't, right? It's just the way that the films are typically sort of made out in terms of the flow. So Act One um, was sort of more, although there's um, sports and athletics throughout the film. Act One covered more of the uh, sports and athletics. So. The way that we would see Act One ending was when it sort of goes into my father's health, right? So we've talked about all of the the major sort of athletic stuff, and then I, you know, my father has a heart attack, and that would be the beginning of Act Two. And Act Two went into health, and also went back into athletics as well. And then Act Three would sort of be, you know, the environmental piece, but then also summing up of, um, you know, the stories of the Tennessee Titans, of Patrick Baboumian, of Scott Jurek, 
and sort of wrapping up in uh, in Act Three. So that's the sort of way that we sort of uh, saw it flow. I see. Okay. Um, and what was the reaction when you first started showing it outside of you know plant stock and very friendly uh, communities? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, extremely well received, especially in that demographic of young men. We thought there'd be a lot of pushback, um, but there's. You know, obviously, we've got pushback and it continues to this day, obviously, from the keto, the carnivore and some of the paleo crowd and then some industry funded folks as well. We're getting, you know, strong pushback in an attempt to debunk the film. I haven't seen uh, a good attempt at that yet. I haven't seen uh, anyone come out with any good science or you know anything to debunk it. A lot of people misrepresent the film, um, but the, uh, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. In terms of misrepresenting, people will say, oh, well, they, you know, the game changers claimed that the gladiators were 100 percent vegan. And here's how this isn't true. And if we can prove that wrong and the whole film falls apart. Well, you know, we didn't claim that. So Fabian Kent, the um, archaeologist that we interviewed that analyzed the bones, he didn't even say they were vegetarian, let alone vegan. He said they were predominantly vegetarian. Of course, he can't really show exactly what every single gladiator was eating. Um, you can analyze the bones, you can tell what the pattern looks like, and it looked mm -hmm. like it was a plant-based diet, uh, at least predominantly coming from plants. And then I said, I couldn't believe that they ate mostly plants. But then, you know, the other side tries to turn around and say, oh, they said they were vegan, and here's why they're not vegan. Well, that's a straw man argument. You're not even attacking, you know, the claim that we made in the film, you're misrepresenting it. So there's been no good rebuttals scientific uh, or otherwise of the film that I have seen to date. And I, I would, uh, you know, I'd appreciate it if someone could try and point something out that was factually wrong, then I would be open to changing my mind. But that hasn't happened. Right. And I wanted to talk about that because you <clears throat> like, you know, watching the movie, as you said, like maybe one percent of the science that, that went into preparing for the movie came through in the movie. But it felt like like you took really seriously getting absolutely everything right. And it seemed like like in the Joe Rogan podcast, which I hope we'll talk about in a little bit, you mentioned like what the health a couple of times in terms of being a little bit fast and loose with some, with some, like the comparisons between smoking and uh, and processed um, meat. Well, yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't. My claim wasn't that they were being fast and loose. My claim was that people were confusing a claim that we made where we were drawing parallels between um, you know, the smoking industry and the meat industry in terms of misleading people in the playbook in which they mm. used to, you know, mislead studies and the funding and the marketing versus in what the health they made a direct comparison between, um, you know, the cancer risks of smoking and the cancer risks of meat eating. Mm. I'm not um, trying to put down any of those claims. It just wasn't a claim that we made. And we wanted to make sure that we were conservative on the science. So for the environmental pollution, we could have brought up bigger figures. We wanted to go with a very conservative figure by a very well-respected organization when we talked about the environmental claims, for example. And we just made sure that the every study that we represented and put in the film was uh, reflective of the totality uh, and preponderance of the evidence, essentially. Because mm -hmm. one thing I really got, and I don't think I understood this until like today, finishing the Joe Rogan podcast, um, is how much of this film was made by a combatives instructor in terms of the like like you went you produced this film 
as if your life was on the line or as if the life of a client like there could be, there could be no room for error that this this was the most important thing in the world and you had to prepare for absolutely every eventuality it looked like 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 military precision um, contingency planning that went into producing the integrity of the science yeah i mean to me it's just really important one i really um, you know i really want to find out what the truth is and I don't like being lied to, and I certainly don't want to misrepresent anything or mislead anybody. So number one, number two, we're talking about the the health uh, of millions and millions of people that will watch the film. So I think it would be a real disservice if the science wasn't absolutely fact checked. And you know, fortunately, you know, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has reviewed the film and worked with a CME provider to get the film accredited for doctors and nurses all around the United States. They're working with their 16 partner organizations around the world. It's the first time that a documentary has ever been accredited by uh, the Defense Health Agency, which is you know, the Department of Defense's arm, which deals with what the military should be eating for both warfighter effectiveness and for their health. And um, the Special Operations Medical Association, another entity which has endorsed the film for its science. So... Yeah, I'm very glad that we, we really took our time to make sure that the science was reflective of the totality of evidence and that you know it sort of shows that we did that by the endorsements and uh, accreditations that we've been getting. Right. And you also um, like very intentionally went outside the usual suspects, right? Campbell, McDougall, Furman, mm -hmm. Esselstyn mm -hmm. to to people who like who are consensus. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, there's small minutiae that people agree with within the consensus. And I think there's some amazing doctors that have been in the space. But, you know, in large part, their stories have been told already in other documentaries. Um, and, you know, people would say, oh, well, they're very skewed towards a plant based diets. But, you know, some of the experts um, that we interviewed for the film, people don't realize because, you know, that, that lower third on the screen is only up for a few seconds. So people might not realize that we had the chair of nutrition at Harvard speaking in the film, the chair of anthropology at Harvard, the president of the American College of Cardiology, the lead delegate of urology for the American Urological Association. So we had experts in their field that were representing the scientific consensus. Um, you know, all of the world's leading health authorities, um, the World Health Organization, the FAO, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics all say we should be getting uh, eating predominantly plant-based diets. And they take it a step further. You know, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics says that we should uh, that vegan and vegetarian diets are helpful across all stages of the life cycle, pregnancy, infancy, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and including for athletes. So, you know, things in science do shift over time, but we're getting better at doing science. Right. So as time moves forward, despite industry influence from the meat and dairy industry, the recommendations are becoming more and more plant based all the time. And if you really follow the science uh, to a T, that actually would be 100% uh, plant based. Right. And one of the things I love about your approach to the science and like you're very humble, like, you, you know, in the, in the Joe Rogan podcast, you kept on saying, like, I'm not an expert. I shouldn't be doing this. Um, right. I'm you know, I'm not that smart. I don't you know, and <laughs> You know, all all that aside, you know, like the thing that got me was like you said you're old. Like, so. uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, once I hit forty, I was starting to, you know, 
Yeah, well, still <laughs> old, but uh, yeah, I'm getting right. some great. <laughs> but like, you are very, very clear that like appeal to authority has its place in this debate, and that right. you know, so like we think of appeal to authority as a logical fallacy, but right. without appeal to authority, it's like when nobody even knows how to read. Right. Exactly. I mean. It would be like if you couldn't read English and then there's an English teacher which knows how to read English and you say, I want to understand this book. And then you say, well, I'm not going to accept the English teacher's interpretation of the book, even though they're the only ones that can read English. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. So, yeah. So there is, you know, people are, are saying that I called out the appeal to authority, logical fallacy, but then I used it. But they must have missed the part where I said, but in the real world, we have to rely on experts. Right. And so unless you know how to read um, the scientific data yourself, and you have a lot of time, <clears throat> it would basically be full time, right? It would be a full time job. Because to suggest that you are going to understand more uh, about the totality of evidence, because it's not just about reading one study or one meta analysis, it's looking at the totality. And especially like in, in the case of Chris Cresser, when we were on the Joe Rogan podcast, he would have to make people believe that he was an expert and could read all the totality of evidence in each individual field, in cancer, in heart disease, in, um, uh, in, in urology, in anthropology, in environment. And apparently, you know, these people think they know more about the experts and the consensus in all of these fields combined, which seems to me ludicrous. So we do have to rely upon experts in the field. Um, I'm not saying that you should always take what they say to be true, um, but I think that's the best that we've got. And so, sure, you know, I don't mention that I have a science degree. Uh, so I, I have a, especially looked at soil types and land use and this type of thing. So when we're talking about B12 in the soil, I could invoke that and say, actually, I have a four year degree that I studied this in. But I don't bother doing that because to me, it's not my opinion and uh, evaluation of the science, the totality of science. The film really <clears throat> was reflecting the scientific consensus and interviewing experts in their individual fields, which were representative of that. So to me, when Chris Cresser was trying to debunk the film on Joe Rogan, it was Chris Cresser's interpretation versus the consensus and the representation representation of that consensus. It wasn't Chris Cresser and his interpretation versus James Wilkes and my interpretation. I was merely putting a film out there showcasing the science and the scientific consensus. Right. So let's, let's talk about that, uh, that podcast a, a little bit. So and I'll, I'll start with it with it with a a call out of myself, like a little anecdote. So I heard I saw that Joe Rogan had done the thing with Chris Kresser, and I was certainly I was not going to watch that. Like, what was the point? I was just going to get high blood pressure. And then I heard that you were going to be on. And I kind of felt like, you know, like this is just going to be like, what's the point? Like, I'm beyond needing to be convinced of anything. And then I was right. uh, for Thanksgiving. I was out in Nashville. Uh, and I went to an ultimate Frisbee pickup game and I'm just throwing with two people I've never met before, a young woman, young man, my, not saying a word. And the man starts talking about he's just oh, he's thinking of going plant based. And the woman's like, oh, yeah, there was this documentary that just came out about that. But I, I don't think I'm going to see it because it was just totally debunked. And it's, it was like a total like BS. Mm -hmm. And and at that point, like I couldn't like. I don't like to get involved in discussions. I don't like conflict. And at that point, I'm like, oh, that guy's full of shit. You should see the film. Like, I, I think I might have saved it for her. But right. then when then when I saw that you had been on and I could watch and listen, 
was like, I understand why this matters. Right. Like why? And you and you went in there again as a as a as a combatant like Chris Crestor has absolutely no skin in the game. And it felt like you were coming in defending your baby, defending your life's work for the last decade and defending the truth that that can influence so many people's health. And that was the, the only reason I was able to to get to be able to handle the combativeness of it, because I saw where you were coming from. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm watching it back. I do feel I was a little bit too combative. But of course, you know, seven years or whatever making the film, uh, Chris Cresser thinks that he can spend seven hours making notes on the film and then three hours just debunking it. And that was a massive audience. I think Chris uh, Joe's podcast gets like 15 or 16 million downloads each mm -hmm. time. So, and especially in that young sort of male demographic. So for him, just to, I, I did feel... Um, you know, a bit combative. And uh, I felt like, you know, people saying, well, I kept interrupting him. But Chris Cressa had three hours on the previous podcast, um, just attacking the film nonstop without any interruption. So I felt like every single point that he made, which he felt was debunking the film was scientifically inaccurate. And I felt the need to, to point that out. You know, I'd, in hindsight, should I have uh, been a little bit calmer and uh, not attacked uh, quite as much. Um, yeah, I think I should. People are complaining because um, they feel it was an ad hominem attack where I was attacking Chris personally. But I wasn't saying, hey, you are fat or hey, you are thin. I was calling into question his credibility uh, to interpret the data. And I do not feel that he is qualified. Um, he said in an email to me previously, I've got so much going on. Nutrition is just basically a small part of what I do. And I just don't think he has the, uh, the scientific training um, or the wherewithal to, and I think that was quite evident from asking him certain questions, that he doesn't have the ability to interpret the evidence. Well, and it's fine to not have the ability to interpret the evidence, but like, you know, it would be irresponsible of me to go to the Navy SEALs and try to teach them how to disarm somebody with a gun, right? I've, I've studied right. Sistema. I, I, uh, I've done, oh, 150, 200 hours of training, yeah. right? But... And so if I set myself up as that, like he's basically telling people how to live or die. And, right. I, and I think there was I was absolutely like that's what that's what got me over the hump of, oh, this is so unpleasant. They're yelling at each other. Like, can't we all be friends? It was like, you know, he he has done something that is irresponsible and has consequences. Totally. And that, that's why I felt like it had to be pointed out. And that's why it was a bit emotionally charged and combative uh, for that very reason. Um, but also, like, I mean, for, honestly, like the biggest thing that you debunked about his about the debunkings of the film was like people were saying, oh, James didn't spend a thousand hours. Like, let's let's do the math on that. Or mm. and then and then from there, oh, James didn't we didn't see him do an hour of battling ropes. Right. Like yeah. that, that would have been a hell of a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We interrupt this movie to show you the entire footage like you. You came across as the most knowledgeable person about nutrition that I have ever heard. And of, and I know who the scientific advisors for the movie are. And I know there. But you have synthesized this in a way that balances everything and you can express it in really, really clear, simple terms for lay people like I, you know, I wanted to like, a, like be the Wizard of Oz and just give you a PhD 
<laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I do feel like I've learned a lot, but it really is down to the team and the advisors that have helped me uh, understand that. Of course, my own research as well. But if you take, you know, I did ask if we could have uh, David Goldman, uh, chief science advisor, come on the podcast with Chris Cresser and Joe. And unfortunately, that was turned down. Um, my I, my guess is that Chris probably wasn't a big fan of having David on the show because in reality, David knows a lot more than I do about nutrition. And uh, if it got really, really technical, uh, then David could have stepped in. Um, but I appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. Right. But I mean, in some, in some sense, this was theater, right? It's, it is Joe's theater and Joe's show. And, oh. you know, as, as you're saying, you're, it's almost like what you were saying about young men follow identity more than, than, than data and research. Like you, oh. you and Joe, like I felt like it's at a certain point, something changed. And he's like, oh, I get what James is and what he cares about because I'm the same deep down right. like we're, we're... Yeah, I mean, deep down you know joe does want to know the truth i think he's had people on the show which have unfortunately swayed him in a different direction and i think he realized that chris uh really shouldn't be on there talking about nutrition uh my guess is unless we have like a part two uh my guess is that i'm guessing joe probably mm -hmm. won't have him on again because he's probably i feel like he's been exposed you know to uh to show that he really shouldn't be giving people nutrition advice Right. So what has, from your perspective, what has the effect of the film been in the world? Well, I mean, we know that on Google Trends that the interest in plant-based eating has more than tripled worldwide um, from the day that the film hit Netflix. I mean, you can see a, a bump on Google Trends for both plant-based recipe, plant-based eating, plant-based athletes. You can see a bump when it hit the theaters. Uh, you can see a bump then, that was September 16th, you can see a bump again when it hit iTunes and uh, Google Play and Amazon. And then just a massive spike uh, as soon as it hit Netflix. So the interest in plant-based eating is is very evident both on Google Trends and then also you know, from uh, sort of vegan and vegetarian groups and their followings on social media have tripled or quadrupled. And then plant-based companies obviously are writing us saying, you know, my sales have skyrocketed since uh, the film came out. So I think it's having a massive impact. Um, of course, with that comes a lot of pushback from the industry, which is, you know, expected. Um, but just the conversation, uh, you know, really increasing. And then across, you know, the different demographics than perhaps would have been reached before, right? So you sort of had an older demographic that were more concerned about their health, <clears throat> heart disease and diabetes, whether they'd had it themselves, or whether um, their friends were having it, that was sort of happening before. Uh, and then there was sort of the younger group caring more about environment um, and the animals, perhaps a little bit more left-wing folks uh, caring about that in general. But then this sort of athlete demographic, you know, younger people um, caring about sports and performance, I don't think we'd really hit that demographic with plant-based eating before. And I think that's such a key uh, demographic. So. I think those are the big uh, the impacts that the film had is affecting those those folks. Wow. Um, so what do you what do you think the next thing the movement needs to do is? Is there is it another film? Is it more grassroots? Is it, um, you know? Like, I mean, I, to me, it's about um, community and resources. So I think, you know, people can be inspired by a film like The Game Changers. And then it's knowing, you know, what to do next. So five out of six people that go meat free uh, historically 
according to some research, says that they go back. And the number one reason cited is often social pressure, which the number one reason within that is the male partner in the household, coincidentally. Uh, but the second reason is actually uh, resources, so lack of knowledge, like not knowing what to eat, you know, uh, not knowing how to make a transition. So on, on our website, GameChangersMovie.com, we put out free recipes and shopping tips and tips on how to transition and whether it has to be all or nothing. Um, and we're going to continue to do that, put more recipes on and build a community page on Facebook where people can talk to our you know, science experts, talk to athletes in the film, talk to um, you know, experts in the film that were interviewed and talk to each other online. So I think uh, community both in person and online is important and offering resources for people in order to make that switch, I think is also uh, very important because it's not easy. You know, if, if you've been eating a certain way for three uh, th three times a day for your whole life, for years and years and years, any change like that is not always the easiest for everybody. Some people can do it quite easily. Some of it's harder. We have to give people that support and education uh, so that if they want to make the change, they can. Mm -hmm. Was that one of the things that went into the choice of like the food visuals? Because you have, you know, Patrick eating <laughs> Like, you know, uh, crazy amounts of calories, very processed food and the food of yeah. the, the Tennessee Titans, you know, like it wasn't like whole food, plant based, you know, right. Esselstyn approved. What was the, no. what was the thought about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, we, you know, the point of the, the documentary was not to show people um, the exact diet that they should be eating and what they should be eating. Right. It was really to dispel the myth that you needed meat to be strong and healthy. And so we, we covered a wide range of people eating, you know, different uh, versions of plant based diets um, from some of the athletes are eating a lot more whole foods. Some are eating processed foods. Some were into it for their health or athletic performance. Others actually switched their diet because of like in Patrick Baboumian's case, you know, because of ethics. And so he actually thought he would get weaker when he switched, but he didn't care because he cared about the animals. But the opposite happened. So there's a wide variety of people. And again, it wasn't to say, um, here's the exact diet that you should be following. Uh, it was more to dispel the myth that you need meat to be strong and healthy. Now, if you go to our website, you'll see it's sort of pretty clear that we're saying it's the most important to get as many whole foods in your diet as possible, whole plant foods. And, um, you know, but we also say it's not all or nothing. So if people think that they either have to be, you know, let's say low, low fat, whole foods, uh, only a B12 supplement, or they can stick with their current diet, most people are probably going to stick with their current diet. So I think perfection is the enemy of good uh, in this case. And although I think it would be great if everyone went on a whole foods diet, uh, completely plant-based whole foods, I think we have to give room for some people and meet people where they're at, whether it's eating still some uh, animal products or some um, processed plant foods, even if that isn't the healthiest thing. Uh, again, hoping that they'll shift more towards whole plants uh, in the end. Right. I think that's one of the you know very robust findings of social science is that when people take one little step, now all of a sudden their identities can allow them to take other steps without like now, oh. you know, now going from meatless Mondays to all on vegetarian is is confirmation as opposed to uh, cognitive dissonance. Yeah, correct. And again, that's not for everybody. Some people, they can jump in overnight. You know, they can be very inspired. They've got the willpower. Um, maybe they're eating quite a lot of fiber already. So the increased fiber all of a sudden doesn't bother them. But for other people, <clears throat> they don't have that willpower. They don't have the drive. 
Um, they might not be eating hardly any fiber at the moment. 90% of Americans are deficient in fiber. Um, so that big dump of fiber all of a sudden every day from Whole Foods could bother them, give them more gas and bloating, and that could throw them off altogether from trying it again. So I think you have to sort of be open to both approaches going all in uh, overnight, but for, probably for more people than not, uh, taking your time and incorporating more plant-based options. And that basically will end up pushing out and displacing you know, the uh, highly processed foods and the, uh, the animal foods as well. All right. So I have a couple more uh, cinematic questions for, for you. Um, one is the inclusion of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. Like, like that was that felt like a coup, like, you know, especially for because of his history, his incredible outsized influence in the bodybuilding and He-Man community. And because of that line from that film, right, you hit like a vegetarian, like for him yeah. to to acknowledge the change. Like, how did how was that just Jim Cameron saying, hey, you want to do this? Like, where? what was what was Arnold's evolution, both in terms of his diet and in his willingness to help out with the project? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, uh, it was Jim Cameron that put us in touch and told us that um, that uh, Arnold was eating much more plant based these days. You know, Arnold is eating plant based for two reasons or more plant based. Um, he's not complete 100 percent plant based, so he doesn't drink dairy. It really hasn't because he thinks it's for babies. Uh, and then also he's cut down about 80 percent of his meat. So he's eating a lot more plant based than the general population. And a lot of whole foods are plant based. So, you know, and that's the thing. Like we say, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It's all or something. And I think Arnold really represents that and points out that it really is all marketing. So like, if you want to eat a steak, eat a steak. But don't think that it's good for you and don't think that it's healthy and it's necessary. If you like the taste of it, then that's on you. But recognize that there's, you know, potentially damaging consequences to that. Um, but Arnold, you know, first of all, he's got a congenital heart disease that he was born with, I believe. And so, you know, obviously he's concerned about his health. As he points out in the film, I think the, uh, you know, his, his numbers all improve, like his cholesterol and his LDL. Uh, but he's also really into the environment and he recognizes the science there as well. So he's a big advocate for really significantly reducing meat consumption. And he recognizes that um, people can do very well, um, if not better, on a completely plant-based diet. So obviously it was great to have Arnold in the film. He's the godfather of muscle. Um, you wouldn't expect, uh, he's the opposite of what you would expect, right? You would think you'd be like meat, 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 meat. And he certainly was back in the day. But he started reading, you know, some of the literature as well and talking to experts and recognizes that um, getting the vast majority of your calories from plant, uh, plants, if not exclusively, is the way to go. Mm -hmm. right. And the other the other person who kind of stole the show, as you as you uh, alluded to, is Dr. Aaron Spitz mm -hmm. with the with the erection studies. Like what was what was who came up with that idea and like how did how did that come about behind the scenes? Well, funny, I was searching, um, uh, I was looking at blood flow and looking at, you know, doctors who were advocating more plant-based eating. And uh, Dr. Spitz's office just happened to be like a thousand yards from my house. Uh, just, and so he just happened to be the lead delegate for the American Urological Association that represents uh, to the American Medical Association. And, uh, you know, he was advocating plant-based diets for both prostate uh uh, to you know, to reduce or reverse prostate cancer, and also for you know, erectile dysfunction, uh, to minimize or, or eliminate that. So, um, 
you know, I, we actually interviewed him once, and then later on, uh, I think we were talking with uh, uh, Dr. Greger from Nutrition Facts, and he was mentioning this penile plasmograph where you can test erectile function. Uh -huh. And of course, he said it hasn't been tested before. This device exists, um, but food has not been tested before. We know that for like over 20 years, we've seen like arterial blood flow has been impacted negatively by a heavy, heavy animal-based meal. Um, and so the arteries to the penis are some of the smallest in the body. And uh, certainly, you know, urologists consider the penis the canary in the coal mine, if you will. You know, it's the barometer for men's health. If you've got erectile dysfunction, you're, you know, you've basically got, you know, artery disease anywhere is artery disease everywhere, potentially. So you're very likely to, you know, to have heart disease and a heart attack at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of in the long term, that's a, it's a marker. So we thought, well, it'd be interesting to see in the short term, in the smaller arteries, it should have more of an impact. And we already know, like in the brachial artery, in the arm, you can have up to 50% reduced endothelial function, you know, within two hours of a meal, and it can last six to eight hours. And so we thought it'd be really interesting to try. We'd already done the experiment with um, Dr. Robert Vogel, you know, with the athletes looking at the, the milkiness of the blood in the centrifuge of the test tubes. So we thought it would be interesting to try this um, penile plasmograph. And so I talked to uh, Dr. Ann Spitz, and there's a, the best brand for that is known as the Rigiscan. And so, uh, you know, we gave that a try and, um, you know, behold, the, the results were, um, you know, sort of as we anticipated. I was wondering, that was like the one point in the film I was wondering about, like, how you set up the cameras and because it was the one thing that wasn't sort of, you know, like candid camera, like you were going to capture their reactions in real time. It wasn't going to be, you know, like a documentary, like, oh, hi, come in. Right. right. Like this like what what did you what how did you get what did you do to get maximum um, possibility of impact from the reveals? I mean, we just we had a lot, you know, we, I think we had maybe three or four cameras running uh, in that room when he was, when Dr. Spitz was giving the results and we just kept rolling. So we were you know, fortunate to capture some really authentic moments of uh, the athletes laughing and sharing stories and making jokes. I think they just became very relaxed. You know, the results were given on the second day uh, or maybe the third day. Yeah, the third day because it was uh, two nights and then the third day was a reveal. And um, it was just very natural, organic responses that we got. And um, we were just very fortunate with those athletes. In fact, the night before it all started, the three people that had originally agreed to do it for the filming all backed out. I think they weren't too, you know, they were worried about you know, their erections being caught on camera or something. Uh, um, and so understandably, um, so they pulled out. And so I scrambled to get, you know, three more athletes uh, to come in. And uh, we were very fortunate that we, uh, we were able to get them involved. Yeah, they were very, they were very personable. Yeah, no, they, they, they had great chemistry, chemistry between them. And one of them, uh, I'm not sure about the other two, but one of them is, is completely plant based now after that. Mm, yeah, so, so one trial learning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So speaking of athletes, I want to maybe end end with this. So, like when when I helped Colin Campbell write Hole, the one athlete um, that that um, that we could get, you know, that, that everybody knew of was Tony Gonzalez, right? Mm -hmm. Who was like largely plant based, but there wasn't like there really wasn't anybody else we knew of. Like, like I think right after that, um, John Sally, and then but it's like popcorn. Like, what are you seeing in terms of like as the film has 
made it through its seven year iteration. And now that it's come out, are you seeing college collegiate professional uh, athletes embracing this more? Absolutely. And I think while I was making the film, it was, you know, there was more and more popping up all the time. There was a lot of athletes that we filmed that didn't make it in, like Tia Blanco, the uh, two time world surfing champion. She's amazing. It would have been great to have her in. Cara Lang, I think the youngest soccer player to ever score a goal in the Olympics, uh, Olympic soccer. Uh, Barney Duplessis, who was Mr. Universe, you know, massive uh, ripped bodybuilder. There were so many like, great athletes that we could have uh, included in there. But since the documentary has come out, then I mean, when we have hundreds of elite athletes from the MLB, NBA, NFL, uh, UFC, um, all sorts of sports, cyclists, swimmers, um, Olympic athletes from different sports, reaching out to us asking for advice. And so we're actually consulting for a lot of those people um, free of charge at the moment, just to, to really help people uh, change their diets. Um, so yeah, there's been a big uh, shift, I think, towards, and you can see it, you know, in the, in the press, there's the Tour de France um, champion, I've forgotten his name, but he saw the film and said that he was going plant-based because of the film. So I think we're, um, the film has really made a, a sort of global shift in people's perceptions of what plant-based eating can be, especially for athletic performance. Wow, that's that's so exciting. Is there, I, remember I talked maybe a year and a half ago with some folks from the Chicago Bulls organization, the, the basketball team, and there was such a reluctance, like, they, this was like the community people who wanted to like foster community spirit and, you know, keep ticket sales up. And they were happy to have the bulls come and talk about physical activity for, you know, against childhood obesity and go to schools and do a, a 5K run with the bulls. But they were not touch nutrition. Um, they either felt like, well, nobody knows what you should eat or we don't want to piss off our concessions. Right, because we make as much money from the food that people buy at the game as the tickets from the game. Are you seeing anything where where teams like we know about like there was this soccer team in in the UK that went plant based in terms of what they feed the crowd? Is there anything where the athlete where there are efforts for for athletic organizations and these high profile celebrity athletes to actually be allowed to speak to to their communities about the importance of nutrition? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so David Goldman, our chief science advisor, and I just got back from the MLB winter meetings where we gave a talk and uh, took Q&A from the, uh, the doctors and healthcare professionals for the MLB. We've been approached to uh, consult for uh, numerous teams across the in the Premier League, uh, soccer, you know, in the UK, uh, in various sports. So uh, that's definitely starting to happen. There's a big interest and um we want to sort of fill that hole because there's really no one out there at the moment that can offer um, the expertise and the knowledge that our team has. Um, so it's definitely, definitely changing, not just at the individual athlete level, but also at the institutional level as well. Mm, that's great. So I have one last question. So I've uh, ever since watching the movie, I've been doing the battling ropes. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm up to 75 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> How long will it take me to get to an hour? What's what's my protocol for uh, for improving on that? And, and how, when, when will I stop whimpering? Yeah, I mean, I think you've just got to keep doing it, right? It's one of those things. Um, but I have seen some people on Instagram that have tagged me. Uh, they've gone plant-based and they've, they've done like 30 minutes. So um, mm. again, you got to keep that pace. you got to, you know, if you sprint, you're, you're not going to be able to maintain it. But if you just keep that wave going, it's more like a jog on the ropes, basically. Um, and you just got to keep at it, I think. Um, 
I haven't done it for a while. It's not something I'd want to do again. My hands were actually bleeding uh, with blisters uh, when I did it. So oh. <laughs> not, not something I really want to do again. All right. Well, I'll, I'll let you know when I double it to uh, <laughs> two and a half yeah. minutes. So what's what's next for you? You're still you're still working as a as a combative instructor training military and, and uh, law enforcement. You're doing it seems like a ton of pro bono uh, consulting around the film. What what does your next year look like? Yeah, just continuing. I mean, we've had over 4,000 official screening requests. Uh, so obviously I can't go to all of those, but we're going to some. You know, there's big uh, institutions that are interested. We just got back um, before the MLB meeting. We were at Google uh, Food doing a screening there because they're, they're very plant forward now at Google and you know they want to shift in, in more in that direction. Um, so just really helping uh, individuals and institutions make that shift, offering resources um you know we're trying to put a book together and so that is my uh that'll be my main focus is is giving people the resources in order to make these uh changes that's my focus while still doing some uh of the combatives training uh, on the side gotcha gotcha it's, it's, it's funny how they're they're so different and yet they're both designed to save lives right exactly it's like uh, internal defense right it's, um you know you think you're saving people by teaching them how to uh take a gun away or uh, choke somebody out. But it's much more important uh, what you're putting in your mouth in terms of both your athletic performance and um, weight loss. Certainly, we know that diets are much more important in weight loss, in fact, even than exercises. And uh, in terms of our long-term health and longevity and quality of life, uh, diet is extremely important. And so, yeah, I feel like um, it's teaching people internal defense as well as that you know, external defense that I've taught in the past. Yeah. Do, do people ask you to talk about nutrition now when you're doing your day job? Um, I, unfortunately, recently, last couple of months, I haven't had much time to do uh, a lot of combative training. Um, but yeah, certainly every time I'm doing that now, people are interested to talk about the findings in the film and nutrition as well. So I sort of incorporate that. Wow. Well, very exciting. And I'm so happy to have had this conversation. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am. Like, it was worth the wait. <laughs> it was a long time. It was a long time. But I think uh, the final product was was worth it. And hope I hope everyone that was uh, really waiting for the film and they were frustrated with us originally, I hope that they're now happy um, that the film is out and that they're happy with uh, the way that it was put together. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because there's this, you know, this 80-20 thing, like better, better good done than perfect not done. But there are some things that, that can't be 80-20, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't think it was a, a 10 out of 10 film, but I think it was, um, you know, as close as we could have got within the time. And certainly we could have gone on forever and ever and dragged it out. But uh I think we found that balance between getting the best possible film that we could put out within the time. And um, I hope people uh, you know, agree with that. Right. So where can people follow you, um, watch the film, stay involved? So, um, so the website is GameChangersMovie.com. Again, with all those resources and recipes, we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, at GameChangersMovie. We're on Twitter at GCMovie. And... Um, what else? Uh, it can, the film can be seen on all of the major transactional platforms. So Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, Google Play, Vimeo. Um, it can also, it's also on Netflix for the streaming video on demand. Um, and then it'll actually be in China fairly soon as well on a streaming platform. We haven't announced that yet. 
Uh, it's on. It'll be on DVD and Blu-ray very soon for order. So hopefully you can get that before Christmas, because a lot of people want to give it to their friends. We've had a lot of doctors and nurses and health professionals want to hand them out to patients. Mm. Um, uh, other than that, so my personal uh, Instagram page is at Lightning Wilkes W I L K S. Uh, but that's that's about it. All right. Well, there's there's plenty for us to to chew on and. and uh... Yeah. So again, thank you so much for all the work you've done for the for the the heart, you know, to to like just to see combatives is is just you know like violence, but to see combatives with heart, like that's that feels like very warrior, like in the best capital W sense of someone someone putting themselves on the line for the good of the community. So I just I really want to honor you for the movie, for going on Joe Rogan and battling ropes for almost four hours and for yeah. the spirit that you're that you're bringing to this. It's just it's just a delight. Well, thanks so much. But I do want to you know, give a shout out to all of the people that have been involved um, with making this because it really took a massive team uh, to put it all together uh, and also support from my family and, uh, you know, my wife, Alicia. It's like without the support of the team and without your family support, it's very difficult to achieve these objectives. So I really shouldn't be taking uh, even the vast majority of credit. I should really be giving it to, you know, all the people that were involved in, in getting this done. All right. Well, you know, I could I could do the rest of my podcasting career just to, on the, the uh, coattails of the Game Changers. So uh, yeah, there's plenty of people for me to talk to. Awesome. Great. Bye -bye. Well, thanks for having me on, Howard. I appreciate it. Thank you. Be well. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with James Wilkes. I know I did. It was one of the highlights of my podcasting career. And I got to say, it got me thinking that, you know, Joe Rogan has so much influence and I kind of want some of that. I kind of feel like, why not me? Why not this message? And what that means is I need help in growing the influence and growing the power and growing the reach of this podcast. And so I want to tell you a few ways in which you can help if you want to. One of them is just to share it. You know, ultimately, Joe Rogan's influence comes from his reach, comes from millions and millions of people listening, watching, following. And I think the message of this podcast is worthy of that kind of global attention. So if you want to share this episode, other episodes, let people know. If you just get one other person to become a listener to this podcast, then if everybody does that, it doubles. And if it keeps doing that, then we can we can reach some sort of critical mass. Second thing is the podcast needs money. When I look at how Joe produces it, he's got multiple cameras, multiple camera angles. Um, he's got sponsors. And I'm sure he makes a very good living from the sponsorship. I don't want sponsors. I don't want that kind of podcast. I don't want to be um, supported by the nut industry and then start seeing studies that maybe nuts aren't so good for you and have to decide if I squash them, if I ignore them, if I try to bring on people to debunk them just because my living depends on the nut industry. Or the Vitamix industry. What if uh, studies come out showing that uh, blending is really not that good for you and we need to be chewing our food or juicing and, and now fiber or, you know, and I don't want to just, I don't know. I, I don't want to be beholden to any kind of commercial interest. I want this to be me doing a service and you being the client, you being 
the, the customer and not an advertiser, which means that the model has to be a very, very pure, like national public radio model without all that corporate sponsorship, which means you guys need to step up and pay if you want to be the customers, if you want to be the people that I'm serving. And right now I'm paying. Um, I'm still footing the bill for about three quarters of what is a very lean operation. And if I envision this podcast growing and becoming bigger and better, that means, you know, more money. That means hiring people to do the social media to help it grow, which I'm not that great at. Not that great at. I'm not good at it all. And I have no interest in doing. It means hiring people to do some more of the technical work so that I can focus on growing the number of episodes that I do, doing some more travel, reaching out to people that uh, won't necessarily come here. And all of that needs money. And so I have a Patreon. So there's a very easy way for this transaction to take place. If you just go to patreon.com and search for Plant Yourself and become a a monthly ongoing contributor. The monthly is important to me, actually, to know that there is money coming in this month and next month, and it's something to count on um, so so that I can make plans and, and know that there'll be a foundation to support them. You can also just go to plantyourself.com and look for the Patreon button on the right sidebar. And I would really appreciate that very, very much. So if you want the show notes for today's episode, in which I show those Google Trends graphs of the uh, search terms plant-based, uh, I do it, show it for the U.S. and New Zealand. You can see those there, along with actually quite a long essay on the Game Changers and what it's meant to me and what this interview has meant to me. Just find that at plantyourself.com slash 355. That's 355. So today's Tuesday, I have another episode airing on Friday, which is with Lenore Brayford of the Piedmont Farm Animal Refuge, which is a couple miles away from my house and is a farm sanctuary. And we put it for the Friday so that if you are interested in supporting their Kickstarter campaign to um, bring in some larger animals, which is to say cows, uh, they're hoping to get that built this year. And it's an amazing place. And the animals are such good ambassadors. It's so much easier to just bring someone and show them, look, this turkey is a person. These chickens are people. These goats, these sheep are individuals with, with loves, with desires, with dignity. That's the best way to get someone to begin to question their unquestioned belief in carnism, that eating animals is natural, normal, and necessary for us. And even if you don't have funds that you can dedicate to the, the refuge, I would still recommend listening. It's a really interesting conversation, partly because we talk about animal-centric architecture, which is creating these buildings, these amazing structures not for the caregivers and not for the public, but for the animals who are going to live in them and how you go about doing animal-centered architecture when animals can't actually sit down and talk with you about what their needs and desires are. So keep a lookout for that. Uh, in running news, had a good run yesterday. Uh, I got a new thing top left. I think I mentioned it, the uh, new pain, but I'm, I'm uh, on the lookout for, for what's causing it and how I can fix it. 
No, I ran to the gym, which is really fun. Like if I just run to the gym and I just use the steam room and shower and then someone picks me up and takes me home. You know, the question is like, why am I paying for the gym? But um, it was a good long run. It was eight, eight and a quarter miles. It's a longer, longer weekday run than I've done in a while. And let's see, in garden news, mostly doing stuff with the bees, which is to say Mia is doing stuff with the bees, trying to save a couple of hives and helping them last through uh, what's looking to be a, a, a long and potentially tough winter. All right, time for gratitude. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use Sabali Dawn, the Dance of Peace. For the theme music for this show, check out willridenauer.com for more of his beautiful music. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Alan Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Flakinovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Julianne Rollins, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rums Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franjek, Annette Benham, Gila Sarah, David Donnie. Phew! <laughs> David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warabek, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Cole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Organ, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins. Reed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rolls, Linda Ayat, Julie Lang, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Erin Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva L, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divot, Joshua Sommermeyer. Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Debbie Casilla, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Lennon, Hattie DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Bill Elf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullage, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Sej, Rochelle Kennedy, Joan Borstein, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire Inglet, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, and Amy Daly for your generous support of the podcast that's it for this week as always be well that's not it for this week that's it for today we got another one coming up on friday anyway as always be well my friends So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. 
You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selbeck, Air Adams, Strong Fonsek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argitati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderberg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z of Eva L, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R, Susan Laverty, the Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leenan. Patty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Cartz, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Abedable Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>